Hi there, welcome to the Kids Way Podcast. We are a podcast committed to helping kids stay in the way of the King. And if you've never heard of King Jesus, well get ready, you are going to love Him. We pray that you would also learn more about what it means to be on His narrow way. We also use various tools to encourage and teach, from fictional stories to scripture reading, to music and sometimes even bringing in some kids to contribute. You can find us online at www.kidsway.ca and there you will find links to our Facebook page and also other info about Kidsway. Before getting into today's episode, we want to thank Jamie Souls for allowing us to use his wonderful music collection. If you would like to check out more of Jamie's music, you can find him at soulmusic.ca. That's www.solmusic.ca. Well, let's get to the story. We pray you are encouraged and pointed to King Jesus through today's episode. Hey, welcome back to the Kids Way Podcast. Today we will continue our study in the book of James. Last week, we looked at a call for prayer from James 5, starting at verse 13. We saw that James wants the people of God to pray in all seasons of life, whether it's a time of suffering and difficulty, or a time of joy and cheerfulness, or in a time of sickness. James goes on in his passage here, to describe some specific instructions during times of sickness. I'm sure that you have been sick before. Maybe it was something as common as a cold or a cough or where your stomach feels really bad and maybe you get a fever and have to stay home from church or you can't go outside and play like you would like to. Well, Have you ever asked the question, what should we do when we or our loved ones get sick? And sickness does not only refer to physical sickness. Remember that we also have a soul that will last forever. And when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our souls are made alive by his spirit. We are brought from darkness to light. And yet our souls also can be affected by unconfessed, unrepented sin. Or sometimes we go through seasons in our life where maybe we struggle with doubt or unusual temptations to sin against God. Maybe we go through times of sadness, loneliness. The sickness here that James is speaking of can also refer to spiritual weakness feeling very vulnerable or just weak within our own soul. And so what are we supposed to do when we come into these times? Maybe it's a more serious sickness, sickness that can sometimes even be life-threatening and is very scary. 
either for us or our loved ones? Well, James gives us some very specific instructions here. And starting at verse 14 of James 5, he asks the question, Is anyone among you sick? He says, Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What an amazing verse. A lot of times when we're sick, the first response isn't to pray. Maybe we want to go on Google and search out the symptoms that we're having and figure out what might be wrong. Or we want to get some medicine to help take away the pain or the discomfort. Or maybe you book an appointment with the doctor and you want to go and get his professional opinion as to what might be going going on and maybe you need some additional medicine to help with infection and that sort of thing. Now, it's good for us to learn about various sicknesses. It's good to sometimes take medicine or to talk to a doctor about things that are going on. These are not bad things to do. But really, what should be our first response? What should be the very first thing that we do? Well, James says that when we are experiencing times of great sickness or weakness or vulnerability, that we ought to call for help. Now, this is not like calling 911, but maybe in a spiritual way, it is like calling the emergency line within the church. You see, James says that we should call for help and we should go to the elders or the leaders of the church or possibly those who are uh, spiritually mature, as Paul admonishes in Galatians 6, 1, those who are spiritual, restore the one who is wandering from the truth or caught in transgression, caught in sin. So you're to call for help. You're to, to go to someone who you trust, who loves the Lord. Maybe it's a pastor or leader in the church. Maybe it's a close family friend that loves the Lord. And you're to go to them and, and ask them to pray for you. It's not always easy asking for help, is it? Sometimes we want to think that we can do everything we need on our own, and we don't need help. Maybe you remember, as a little boy or girl, when you hit the age where you no longer wanted mom or dad to help you put on your shoes. And instead of letting them help you get them on your feet, you would say, no, I will do it. And you struggled away trying to put on your shoe by yourself or maybe your jacket. That's good and right for us to learn to be independent and to do more and more things on our own. But James is also saying that we need to be willing to ask for help from the body of Christ. We need to be willing to let others know when we are struggling or sick or weak and vulnerable. And we need to ask for help, we need to ask them to pray for us. And that can be difficult for us because it requires that we admit we can't do everything on our own. And so sometimes I even pray and ask God to help me be humble enough to 
to ask for help. We can pray to God and say, Lord, give me a heart that is willing to receive help, that can be vulnerable with others, which means that we let others know when we are needing some help or we are in trouble or we are experiencing a frightening sickness. We are to go to the elders. We're to look for help, to let others know within the church. Maybe you remember a time when you hurt part of your body. I remember playing basketball and spraining my ankle really bad. And when it first happened, I thought I could still walk okay. But soon, as the swelling got worse and my foot got really sore, all the nerves in my ankle were telling my brain, I'm in pain. You can't walk on me anymore. And so what happens? Well, my other foot had to carry some of the extra weight. Sometimes I had to hop on one foot. Or even for a while, I had to use crutches. And so now my arms and shoulders... My upper body is having to help carry the extra weight that my foot once carried. So you see, in the same way, if one person of the church is weak or struggling or sick, the rest of the body should come alongside that one and help them, help to carry them so that they can heal and rest. So in times of sickness or weakness or vulnerability, either physically or spiritually, James says we need to ask for help. We need to call the elders of the church, those who are spiritual uh, in leadership over us perhaps, those who we know are seeking the Lord, are, are walking in prayer. And that is one of the main jobs of the elders we find in the New Testament. They are to be given to the ministry of prayer and to the teaching of God's word. Hopefully you have such people uh, in your church, in your life, that you can call upon to pray for you. And maybe even it's a mom and dad. And that can also be a tremendous blessing to come to a mom and dad and say, listen, I'm struggling with this particular sin or I'm feeling very weak. Uh, Maybe you are physically sick and you can also have them pray for you to the Lord asking for his help. And that leads us really to the second instruction that James gives, not only are we to ask for help, but we are to receive prayer. James says to once the elders have been called, then they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It's easy for us, even as followers of Christ, to turn to other things when we are sick or struggling or weak. And there is a place for maybe getting some counsel from a doctor or Googling, you know, different symptoms that you might have. But what should be our first response? James is saying the first thing that we really need, and if someone even comes to us for help, the first thing that we should be doing is actually going to the Lord in prayer. Because in prayer, we're reminded, even as Ezekiel said, that it's not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. You remember King David, who was a mighty warrior and won many battles against the enemies of Israel. And God blessed him mightily. He was very wealthy. And uh, it seemed that whatever he did, it, it was successful. And yet, 
if you listen to David in Psalm 44, verse 4, we find the real source of David's strength. He says, Psalm 44, verse 4, You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. So you see, though David experienced many victories and much success as a king and leader of Israel, David said, I don't trust in my bow. I don't trust in my sword. I trust in God. And he says, in God, we have boasted continually. So if somebody asked David, why are you so successful? Why are you so, so mighty in battle? David would boast in God, not in himself. He would say, it is God who strengthens me, God who gives me the victory, God who enables me to do all that I do. And when we come to God in prayer, we are doing the same thing. We are acknowledging that we need God's help, that we don't have the strength and the wisdom in and of ourselves, but we're coming to God and asking for his help, for his power to work in us and through us and to even bless those whom we might be praying for. So prayer is a way that we humble ourselves before God and trust in his power and his strength. Of course, there's a time for giving counsel and giving instruction or, or you know, trying to help in practical ways. But prayer ought to be our first response. And everything that we do should be covered in prayer. And so that's the second instruction. We need to receive prayer in times of weakness, asking others to lift us up before the throne of grace that we might receive the help from God. Now, in this passage, there's also a lot of questions that may come up. One of the big questions is the whole use of the anointing oil. What is James talking about? Should we be using oil when we're praying for someone who is sick? Is this a, a command to all the churches? We know today that many people take a verse like this and come up with very strange ideas of what they should do. They think that they have some kind of special anointing oil that has almost like these magical powers that's going to heal people if they use it. Is that what James is talking about? Well, I don't believe so. In fact, it's very helpful if we remember not only who James is, but at what time he is writing and the people to whom he is writing that helps us understand how he probably understood the use of this anointing oil. James was a Jewish Christian, actually the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up under the laws of Moses. He grew up under the law, the customs, the, the priesthood, the, the, the temple worship, the sacrificial system. All of those things were operating uh, in the life of James. And Yet, as he realizes that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those laws and sacrificial systems of the Old Testament, James is alive through this transition period between the Old Covenant of Moses and the New Covenant in Christ's blood. And I think that's very important. We have to look at then, how did he understand the use of oil? What, what uh, historical information do we have 
um, among the people of Israel about this? Well, in the Old Testament, we find oil specifically used a lot of different ways and really used all the time in the life of Israel. A few quick ways in which the oil was used, we know in 1 Samuel 10, if you remember, Samuel was supposed to go and anoint the king of Israel. They were complaining that they didn't have a king like the other nations and and Samuel was frustrated with them because God was their king and yet God told Samuel, well, go ahead and appoint the king. Um, this is the, what the people are demanding and um, you know, God essentially gives them what they want knowing that there will be certain consequences with that. But really the kingship also points us finally to Christ who is the true king but in 1 Samuel 10, we find he goes to a man named Saul. And as God reveals to Samuel, this is his choice for the first king. Samuel anoints his head with oil. And this is maybe a bit strange to us. We don't see this done. Maybe, you know, if we have a new prime minister or uh, if in the United States, a new president or a leader. Um, generally, most cultures don't anoint them with oil. And... Uh, and yet we see this was part of the Old Te Testament practice. The same thing happened in 1 Samuel 16, 11, as Saul was rejected and God chose David. You remember King David? Well, we were told in, in uh, 1 Samuel 16 that when David came before Samuel, after all of his brothers had been rejected as the king, God tells Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So the oil was used by Samuel to indicate God's choice of king. And we're told the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David that day forward. It wasn't that the oil was magical, but it was a, a God's appointed way of revealing the king and uh, just displaying uh, his favor and choice. And so oil was used in a very specific way to acknowledge the king of Israel. We know oil was also used in the making of offerings to God. Remember when Jacob was traveling, um, he was running away from his brother Esau because he was afraid Esau was going to get him for having uh, deceived their father and, and taken the blessing and in Genesis 28, Jacob lays down at night to rest upon a rock and God reveals himself to Jacob in a dream. He sees the staircase up to heaven and the angels ascending and descending. And as Jacob wakes up, he realizes that God is with him, that God has drawn near to him and renewed the covenant of Abraham. And so Jacob builds this altar out of stones and we're told he pours oil over it as a way to honor God and to make an offering to God. He does the same thing later in Genesis 35, 14, when God changes Jacob's name to Israel and again renews the covenant promises to him. He pours out the oil there as well as an offering to God. And then Leviticus 2, 1, we see certain offerings of Israel. They were told to, to pour oil onto the offering as a way to honor the Lord. Not only in offerings, but oil was used uh, in, in the consecration of the priests and the tent of meeting and the furniture in the tent of meeting, um, you know, like the 
um, the the incense and uh, the lampstand and the the table for the the bread. Uh, the, these things were also consecrated with this special oil that God instructed them to make in Exodus 29 and 30. And that same anointing oil was poured on the head of the priests, Aaron and his sons, to indicate that God had set them aside for the work of the priesthood. And so this was a special anointing oil that was only to be used in those sacred ways. Oil was also used in the cleansing of uh, maybe someone who had leprosy, like in Leviticus 14. The priests were to use the oil and put it on uh, like their ear and, and parts of their body to indicate that they are now clean. Oil was used something of a, a medicine as well. If you had an injury or, you know, um, a, a damaged skin or something, they could use the oil to, to act as a medicine to help healing and uh, renew that, that injury. And that was more of a, a practical use of the oil. Oil was also a main ingredient for the people of Israel. They used it in, in baking and cooking. Uh, you remember the story in First Kings of the, the widow who had very little food left. She had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour left. And Elijah asked her to make him some food. And she, by faith in, in, in God and wanting to honor this servant of God, uses the last bit of her oil, the last bit of her flour to make a cake for Elijah. And as, um, as a, a, a blessing to her obedience, Elijah, um, in praying to God, uh, gives her ongoing oil that her oil jar from that point didn't run out throughout the, the famine and her flour did not run out. And so we see that oil and flour, th- these were part of the main ingredients that they used in, in, in their food. So oil has a, a very practical use there as well. In the Psalms, the oil is a picture of God's blessing and favor. David, in that famous Psalm 23, where he compares the Lord to a shepherd, he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's, it's a picture of God's blessing. Uh, and he references in Psalm 45, God's anointing with the oil of gladness. It represents the joy of the Lord, the provision and abundant care of God. So I think that you get the point when when oil is used in the old testament it is used in so many ways it was so much a part of the the culture of the people of israel so as we come into the new testament we find that early on there are still references to its use but as we continually get further into the new covenant into the beginnings of the church and the finished work of jesus we really find the use of oil fade into the background with much of the sacrificial system and the customs and traditions of the people of Israel. There's a reference in Mark 6, 12, where the disciples of Christ were told they're going out, they're proclaiming that people should repent. So they're preaching the gospel and we're told, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so we see them as, again, Jews who are preaching to primarily to the Jews uh, using oil in this anointing way, praying and, and by God's grace, healing them. Uh, what else is unique about this, though, is during this time of the apostles, uh, there was a unique gifting that they had 
in in validating their own ministry from Christ, the signs of the apostle, as uh, would be described. And so there was a unique gifting and power and ability. And uh, some see the oil as connected to that apostolic time in the church when these very intense, miraculous gifts were operating in a unique way. And so as the apostles die, and that that um, season of the apostles comes to a close and the scripture is, is completed, uh, we see again a lot of these things fade in their use. We don't ever find Jesus using oil in this way. We don't see Peter or Paul using it, though they also performed many miracles and healed many people. Uh, and really James is unique in the way that he references it and, um, and and talks about it. Now, James is probably writing very early on in the life of the church. And so he's he's in this period of time kind of as the Old Testament and old uh, sacrificial system is coming to a close and, and the realities of Christ as the new high priest are being established in the new covenant. Uh, in fact, um, Jesus, you know, fulfilled all of those old, testament pictures and types and so we don't offer up animals we don't offer up you know we don't pour oil on our sacrifices or our offerings to god in the same way because christ is our faithful high priest he is the once for all sacrifice that has been made to god he gave himself upon the cross for our sins and forever satisfied the justice of god and displays the love of god towards us and he is the end of all of those sacrificial systems and and the, the priesthood as it was in the Old Testament and the anointing oils. So a lot of those things were really pointing to Christ and what he would do and were fulfilled in his ministry through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the Father where he is now uh, standing as our faithful high priest. He is the one who has anointed us with the Holy Spirit and with his joy and presence. Now, is it sinful to to use oil in, in this way? I don't think it's necessarily sinful. But the danger, of course, is that we begin to look to any physical thing for healing or salvation or empowering and that is often the danger with these sort of things, that somebody begins to look to it to help them. Um, and so the, the emphasis that James is making is on prayer, the prayer of faith, praying to God, trusting in God, that he is the great physician, that he is the one who can help us. And that really is the main command that James is giving, that we pray. Uh, I think the oil was more of a, a customary um, use in James' day, and we find as the New Testament goes on, its its place really goes, you know, kind of fades into the background. Um, but certainly, we are called to still today pray, asking God for healing, both physically and spiritually, and knowing that God at times may answer those prayers and grant us that healing. And even if He does not. There is a reminder, even in James's letter here, that the, the greatest need that we have is not a physical need, but is a spiritual healing. You see, James talks not just about um, deliverance from physical problems, 
primarily even the forgiveness of sins, of being healed uh, in a spiritual sense, saved in an eternal sense. And this is a wonderful promise in the scriptures that when we come to God in faith, trusting in the finished work of Jesus, trusting that through him our sins can be forgiven and our spiritual sickness because of sin can be delivered and healed in Jesus, that God is pleased to answer that prayer and that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's something we ought to pray for ourselves, that God would continually make us clean through the work of Christ and strengthen us and and bring healing to our souls and that we could pray for others that God would do the same because that is our greatest need. And in Christ, we have a faithful high priest, the great physician, the one who died and was raised again and will one day come again to take away all pain and all suffering and all unrighteousness from the earth and he will reign forever with his people. We'll stop there for now, and hopefully next week we'll continue to look at James' instruction in praying for the sick. Bye for now. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. See